Good morning. My name's Austin, and uh, I'm a pastor here at Southbrook. I've been around here for 30 years, and <laughs> I have as good a sense of anyone as when things are getting serious, when movements are getting serious, and this is such a season of determining for you, is this an event of which you're a passive bystander at that you attend, or a movement that you're invested in. And this movement I'm talking about is our Players Box Ministry to support students under uh, performance pressure of the arts, athletics, and academics. These are pillars of the human experience, knowledge, creativity, competition. When we're talking about these things, we're not talking about uh, scholarships, vocations. We're talking about what it means to be a human being and the system in which these pillars exist in right now for students is broken. It's not working. The, um, it's not working. Paul says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. This is not hyperbole. What Paul is saying here is existing within something that's not set right, the cost is death. Is that not true from what you have been reading lately? It is. So uh, a book that I've been trying to get to for a few years, I'm always reading books on students, mental health, um, sports psychology, all that stuff, and training myself on that. But I just read a book that I finished this week that is still to this moment disturbing me. And it's a book written by ESPN writer Kate Fagan about a young lady who... Uh, was a 4-0 student and a high-level athlete who ended up going to Penn, and the story ends tragically. And I told Oz, I said, Oz, if every person at Southbrook could read this book, you would come running to Players Box. You would say, how can I be a part of a movement that intercepts the slippery slide into performance anxiety and depression and everything that kids are experiencing in the broken system of arts, academics, and athletics in our world, but for us, particularly Southwest Ohio. And it's, it's just, it, it, the book has, sh it's, I'm shaken by it, but it has amped me up. I think even our students who have been at previous Players Box training sessions, we started another one last Tuesday, would say, that I was more amped up Tuesday than I've ever been because this puts an urgency to it. So Oz, explain what's happening. Uh, and as he's getting ready to do this, what's going to happen September 29th, get your phone out. Would you get your phone out? Everybody get their phone out. And if you do your calendar on your phone, I'm going to ask you to open your calendar. If you don't, just I want you to text yourself a message. Here's the message, okay? Tell them what's happening with the Play Outside the Vox event, September 29th, Oz. Yeah, we're having an event for you to get initiated into being a part of this movement. It's Wednesday, September 29th, 6 to 8 p.m. It, uh, it's a whole family affair, and it's going to be a festival-like feel. Mm -hmm. There's going to be horror dwarves. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, there's going to be food. There's going to be fun. There's going to be a place for... It's not a fall festival if you don't have dwarves, right? That's right. Whore, horse people dwarves. vertically challenged is the right way to say it, yeah. There's going to be no French there. 
but there's going to be a time where even when you get to put the kids away and be away from the kids yeah. and to get immersed in this um, really uh, ancestral activity of being involved in a mission. You are a part of an ancestry that not only was the leader one who sacrificed some resources, all of his resources, for those who were less than, but you're a part of a heritage that mm. when the physicians left Rome, when the plague hit, well, how do we imitate Christ? I don't know. I, mm. Well, we go, we go there where the plague's happening. That's all abstract. How do you make that happen in real life? Here's your time to make that happen if you're not a passive bystander at an event, but you're an active participant in a movement to go into where the plague is and intercept things not being set right, which is leading to death, whether by the spirit or of the body in students' lives in our area, okay? Wednesday, September 29th. 6 to 8 p.m. Go to playersbox.org right now and RSVP. I'm going to be there. Our family is going to be there. Again, it's a full family event. It's going to be a lot of fun. But it's going to start our month of October where we're going to show you how this place is going to be bustling during the week in future years with parents and students being trained and, and really funneled in to an identity rooted in Christ. Oz, drop the mic because no, nobody I've ever heard it say it better than that. Right? He, what, right? right? He just said right there. So thank you for being a part of this, Oz. And, and in coming weeks, you're going to hear our story on this. You're going to hear some stories of, of impact, because I, I think Austin's right, it's a plague. It really is. It's a broken system, the performance system. And um, if you read a book like What Made Maddie Run, you go, oh man. It, it fueled me up again to where I started this 10 years ago, and it was out of a, I'm not going to let this happen to another kid. I'm not going to let it happen to another kid. If I can do anything about it. And so I did it for seven, eight years, just on my own, at night, with athletes uh, in classes after they had been trained physically. We did some mental training, and, and uh, so now we get to open it up here, and uh, we want you to be a part of that. We're doing a series next month called Hashtag I'm a Boxer, and you'll see that what is the profile of a boxer. It's not just a student. It's a person. It's, maybe you don't have kids, but you can have an incredible impact on kids in arts, academics, and athletics in Southwest Ohio and beyond in coming years by being a boxer with us, and uh, we're glad that you are here today to hear that because it's just so important that every one of us says this is a movement that we're going to be a part of. Today, we are in part three of a series that is uh, really about this. It, 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 it started with this concept that God said, now as I establish my community, I want you to give a tithe of everything. And that word, tithe, means a tenth. So when you accumulate resources, what separated Israel from all other nations in that era was, was two things. Monotheism, they believed in one God, not many gods, and they intentionally limited their wealth for the benefit of God's plan. And so he said, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And we've been looking at this. It's like the Sabbath. The Sabbath is, it was, we're no longer under the law of the Sabbath. But it, 
you'll see in your life, if you don't live Sabbath principles, you, you're missing out. You're missing out. Life's going to get harder, not easier, trying to live hard seven days a week where the world has your soul, not six days a week where the world has your soul. And the same thing's true of this principle right here. And we say it in this series, you will experience the tipping point of living, so to speak, on 90% in your faith journey when you move from just giving God a tip every once in a while to the tithing life. So it's the way you live. You live your life. You put God first in everything. Now, this is, this, if, if this sounds crazy to you, one-tenth of, of your income, this is what America does is we tip God. The average American gives 2.1 to 2.5% to charity. Now, that's not great. That's certainly a long ways from 10%, isn't it? I mean, that is like, if you're sitting there going, whoa, this is, I thought we were generous. Well, hold on to your horsies. Because here's, it gets even worse. The average Christian in America gives $17 a week to charity. That's, you heard me right. So I'm assuming the average Christian in America makes $170 a week. That's not true, probably, is it? And so you can see how we sit here today and there's this tension of I want to honor God with my life. I want to... I want to be the kind of person that says, when I stand before God someday, I put you first. I put you first in my minutes, my mojo, and my moolah. I, did, I just put you first. But yet, in the words of Bernadette Peters in her famous line in the classic movie, The Jerk, which is an amazing comedy, it's not about losing the money. I just want to lose, don't want to lose all my Stuff. Remember that? There's this conflict that sits within us that, yes, we want to honor God, but there's all this stuff that they're making just for me. And look at this, look at this. Like all over the scripture, there are these, these admonitions, these promises, these, these, these like do this and you'll see God work. It'll be a tipping point in your life. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Not the leftovers, first fruits. Then your barns will be filled overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. So you see, this is just a, this is just a symbolism of the, uh, or a summary of the tithing life. That this life has with it a tipping point attached to it. You start seeing God is doing stuff that is way beyond stuff in my life. Now, here's the thing. If that's true, and trust me, you are sitting near to someone who will tell you, listen to what he's saying, because that's true. I mean, you're sitting close to someone who's made churches like this go because they believed that. If that is true, why do Christians in America only average $17 a week to charity? Why is that the case? Here's the reason. You cannot tithe without saying no to yourself. You can't do it. You can't do it. There is this insatiable desire for more in our culture. And the wealthier you are, actually, the more difficult it is to say no to yourself because you're used to yes. You're used to yes. I, uh, I'm a wealthy person 
by just about any standard uh, in the world. And one time, a friend of mine and I, we were sitting with our wives, and we were talking, and they were talking about what they were going to get us for Christmas, and we, we, we sound like ogres, and I'm going to tell the story, but we kept saying, no, no, don't get that. If I want that, I'll just get it myself. You know, and it was like, it wasn't, any, I don't have very expensive taste. The things that I like are, are, are cheap. But I don't, no, no, if, if, if I'll pick those shoes out myself, okay, if, if I want those. And the whole thing was, is we sat there going, you know, we're used to saying yes to ourselves, aren't we? We just are. If you are here today and, and you're a functioning human being, you, this is, you, you'll recognize that this whole discussion is about appetites. That's what it is. The whole discussion, the whole thing God was doing was intercepting what is a reality in the human condition, and that is all appetites are insatiable. All appetites have one word in their vocabularies, more. In a few months, you're going to sit down, and many of us are going to experience Thanksgiving. And the big one regret I have at Thanksgiving, I'll be honest with you, this is gluttonous, but the Thanksgiving is that I don't have a bigger stomach because it is so good. And how many, how many times have you sat down at Thanksgiving and you eat and you go, I will never eat again. Like, this is it. I am going to be full and satisfied the rest of my life. And about two hours later, man, that dressing and pumpkin pie together, it's, it's so good. I, you know, you just, and, then you, and you're back out there with the love. Like, the best thing about Thanksgiving is not the meal. It's the leftovers, Right? Why? It's because all appetites have one word in the vocabulary is more. How many of you, you finally built the house of your dreams? You finally got in the house of your dreams and you know, this is it. And a few years later, there was this house or this idea that came up. And, and there's nothing wrong with the, any of those things essentially, but the, the whole discussion of, of tithing and our capacity to say, God, I honored you first with my life, it has to do with the issue of more. That's what it has to do with. I'm a fan of old movies. There's an old movie with Humphrey Bogart called Key Largo, and he is in this movie with a famous bad guy in film called Edward G. Robinson. His name is Edward G. Robinson. He's a famous bad guy. Key Largo, Edward G. Robinson plays Johnny Rocco. He's this psychopathic guy who just lives on his appetites. And they're on Key Largo, and he's taking all these people hostage. Humphrey Bogart's one of them. And somebody says, Rocco, what is it you want? He's got all these people hostage. There's a hurricane happening. And somebody yells out, Johnny Rocco, what do you want? And as a typical psychopath, he's not very introspective. He's never stopped to think about what it is he wants. And somebody says, what do you want? What is it you want? And Humphrey Bogart goes, I know what he wants. He wants more. And there's this look, if you just look at it on YouTube, there's this look that comes on Johnny Rocco's face and it lights up and he goes, that's it. I want more. I want more. I want more. And the thing that makes this really challenging is you have to say no to your appetites. Now, do you know this? Psychologically, your appetites have what's called impact bias. Impact bias is when an appetite is catalyzed your brain tries to trick you into thinking, if you don't get that, you're not going to live. Your brain prioritizes that desire 
and exaggerates it. How many of you remember when you were a teenager and you said to your mom, Mom, if I don't go to that party, I will die. Right? Do you remember that? You remember that? Like, you literally thought that. You know what that is? That was your body having an appetite catalyzed and your brain's going, this, this is it. You, for your preeminence in high school, you have to go to this party. You remember that? Or, or mom, if you make me wear that outfit, I will never go out on a date. Right? It was, it, that was all about the impact bias of a desire our brains trick us they really do so you say i've got to have that this is an interesting year 2021 christmas is coming up and 2021 is the anniversary of a certain appetite now before i show you this god made appetites appetites are good your appetite for food for for relationship, for intimacy. I mean, we could just go on and on. What happens is, is that sin magnifies those appetites to where now psychologists call it this impact bias idea. And there's only one antidote to the appetite for more, and that's generosity. The problem with that is there's only one antidote to the appetite for generosity, and that's more. So you have to decide whether you want to have an appetite for stuff or you want to have an appetite for the Savior's reality in your life. And there is a 25th anniversary of an insatiable appetite. In 1996, kids who were six years old said to their parents, Mommy, I have to have Tickle Me Elmo for Christmas. I have to have it. Now, evidently, a lot of kids said that because what could you not find in stores in December of 1996? You couldn't find a Tickle Me Elmo. And this one is the tickliest Tickle Me Elmo. So this is really high quality stuff right here. Right? This is the tickliest Tickle Me But I'm just curious. How many of you either were parents of a child who had Tickle Me Elmo or you were that child in the 90s who had Tickle Me Elmo? Raise your hand if you have. So a bunch of Tickle Me Elmo appetites being fulfilled around here. And you know that today, this Christmas, there will be the new Tickle Me Elmo. That thing that if your child doesn't get it, someday when they're living in a van down by the river, they will trace it back to mom and dad didn't get me Tickle Me Elmo. And they'll spend thousands of dollars in counseling because you are that evil parent who did not give them what they wanted. Now, here's what's interesting about this. So take a, you take a look at this. Let's say you were that six-year-old who in 1996 you got at Christmas Tickle Me Elmo. And today, life has been a bummer. I mean, you've been through failures. You've been through breakups. You've had unemployment. But you say to yourself, but you know what? When I was six, I got Tickle Me Elmo. So everything's going to be okay. Because I had the desire of my life fulfilled when I was six years of age. Everything's going to be all right. I don't have a need for more because it was satisfied when I was six years of age with Tickle Me Elmo. Matter of fact, they loved me so much they got me the tickliest Tickle Me Elmo. And I obviously I'm being facetious here. Why? Because you know that would be crazy. 
but we do the same thing. It, it's, Jesus said something, he goes, he goes, don't spend your life worrying about, am I eating the right things? Am I wearing the right clothes? Am I, you know, what should we drink? What should we wear? He's, he's saying, don't, don't boil your life down to the, the, the hunger for more, more, more. He said, it's really natural to think that people without God, Matthew 5, 31, or 6, 31, people without God run after all those. That makes sense. Like their life is about one tickle me Elmo after another. That makes total sense. But he says, not you. Not you. Your life's an abundance mentality. I shall not want. Because what I'm trying to get isn't just reductionary to stuff. That's not what I want. I want something else. And there is so much of that to go around, so much so that I've even seen that go around in places of material reality where he's taken care of me. He's taken care of me. Because I now know that there's, there's plenty. It's funny, last week I had someone say, you know, you mentioned that, that if someone's going to tithe, that, that it doesn't have, there's no place in Scripture where it has to be the church. I said that Sherry and I tithe first to the church, and I certainly appreciate people who do. <laughs> but, and, and the guy asked me, he said, aren't you afraid that people will give their money to someplace else besides Southwest? And you know what? I said, there's plenty, friend. Would you agree? Like, there's plenty to go around. Just look at our parking lot. There's plenty to go around. And this is, you can live with a, a scarcity mentality. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if there'll be enough. And I, I don't know if I, I need that tickle me Elmo. And if I don't get it, there's not going to be enough. Or you can live with, you know what? There's plenty. God's good. And I see evidence of his goodness all over my life. And so Jesus said, you seek first the kingdom and all his righteousness and all these tickle me Elmo type things in life. They'll, they'll, they'll come. They'll come. I, every once in a while, I'll see a, you know, a person who says, I've worked all my life for this vehicle. I've worked all my life for this particular car. And this now is the evidence of the meaning and the purpose of my life. And whenever you see that happen, you, you don't judge someone like that. You just go, man, that's, that's the tickle me Elmo. That, that, what that is, is like if you don't have God in your life, it kind of makes sense. He who dies with the most toys wins. But there's another way. And it's the way you have chosen as a follower of Christ. Look at this letter to an affluent city's pastor of the first Christian church there in Ephesus. His name was Timothy. And he, look, what, look what the Apostle Paul says. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. Now remember, it's never money. You know that? It's never money. It's about what money can do, right? Money can always, money has three advantages to it. It can always bring you more possessions, more preeminence, and more protection. So the more money you have, the more stuff you can get, and the more status you can have, and the more you can protect your life, or you think you are. So it's never about money. It's always about what money can do that ends up, takes the place of God a lot of times. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You ever heard someone say money's the root of all evil? That's there in a good book somewhere. You ever heard somebody say it? No, it's not. The love of money. Money is a neutral entity. So the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is a drug 
that then we can use it for good or ill. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. I've literally seen this happen hundreds of times where someone just gets so invested in, in the, the, the pursuit of, of Elmo, of their Elmo, where they wander from the faith because you can't serve two gods. You, your heart does not have room for two causes, two missions, two passions, two saviors, and pierce themselves with many griefs. But, he says... Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Just, just write down. Godliness plus sign, contentment, equal sign, great gain. Now, in the words of the great American philosopher Snoop Dogg, oh who cares about the Joneses? We all in our telephones, right? So we don't, like, we don't, we don't need to now look to the Joneses anymore. All we got to do is look at our phone and say, hey, how do I get ahead? How do I get ahead? How do I keep up with everybody? How do I keep up with everybody? And, and you don't need to look at the Joneses anymore. You got your telephones, and that's where you find out, oh, I'm falling behind. How many of you have ever had to take a break? Like, I love Instagram, for example, for just keeping up with my family, with my friends, people at our church. I love that. But I have to take a break every once in a while because I get tired of being sold to by that company that has that one thing that I need or my life will not be content. They know my Elm, Tickle Me Elmos. Do you ever notice that? It's amazing, the, the algorithms. They just know, uh, you know, Laura Buffington swears one time she was just thinking about donuts on her way from Columbus to Dayton and a donut app sh- uh, or an advertisement showed up on her phone. She says, I swear, I didn't even say it. I just thought of it. And they knew that I was thinking about donuts. So there's always that more, more, more. And then there's this equation. Godliness, becoming more like God. And I don't need that. I can live without that. Shutting off an appetite begins with not feeding the appetite. Is great gain. That means contentment is more prized from, for us is more prized than the possessions you can purchase by being discontented. That's why you have to be really careful about emotional purchases, right? Is you're setting your brain up that when you're sad, what do you do? Go out and buy something. And you're, just, you're, you're creating that neural connection in your brain. Be careful. Be careful. And so every time, though, you joyfully, willingly, generously give, you're creating greater contentment in your soul. Why? Because you can't joyfully, willingly, and generously give without saying no to you. You can't do that without saying no to your appetites. That I would be wealthier if I hadn't been part of the church all my life. I believe. You say, wait a minute, doesn't God take care of you when you give? Yeah, he does, but I think I'd be wealthier if I hadn't been a part of a church all my life. Why? It's because to, to be in a life that says at the end, God, I put you first, I honored you first, joyfully, willingly, generously, which the standard of that is, is the tithe, then... I've, I intentionally created contentment in my soul. I, if any of you doubt this principle, go right after church right now, this morning, get in your car and go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Just go there and sit in the drive through line. There'll be nobody else there other than other Southbrook people who decided to try this. Because they're not open, right? We all know that. Well, they're not open. And, and, and that, that really has hurt them financially, hasn't it? 
Uh, like, like functionally, they just don't function very well. I ask, a, I ask a friend of mine who used to manage Chick-fil-A's one time, I said, what is the, what is, why are they so different? And he says, because we're close to one day a week, we can hire the best managers. Because they know they're going to be in the restaurant business, but they're not going to be open on Sundays. Less is more. Less is more. Not more is more. More often is less. And every time you do something, here's the shift. He says, Timothy, now, those who, who are always saying more, 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 fall into a trap. But you, he says, Timothy, you flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Take a picture of that if you don't have that on your phone. Because, like right now, Austin is pursuing an under three-minute marathon in October in, in, uh, in Cleveland. So, a three, did I say three minutes? Good, guys. <laughs> Three-hour marathon. And what's, what's amazing, he's, he's got an injury right now, and it's set him back. But, but his whole life, physically, is about pursuing. And he won't even play tennis with me anymore because it gets in the way of his training. It's terrible. But why? He's pursuing. He has a very clear time. He says, here, here, here. It's not about, it's not about, the deal isn't saying, okay, okay, I'm not going to think about Tickle Me Elmo's anymore. I'm going to get off Instagram and those Tickle Me Elmo's aren't going to, they're not going to, they're not going to tempt my appetite and create impact. No, no, no. No, he doesn't say that. Because right now, if I said to you, don't think about Tickle Me Elmo's, what happens? You think about Tickle Me Elmo's, but he says, no, no, no. You don't do that. You do this. You get intentional about pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Like somebody training for an under three-hour marathon, that's what you're going after. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. What many people, they know that. They've heard that. What they don't realize, it's in the context of battling the insatiable desire for more. It's in the context of a money admonition and a money instruction. Take hold. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So you have a lot of Christ followers today who are doing their $17 a week, and you know what it is? It's because we haven't done that. We still kind of want two pounds of God in a paper sack to go at church, you know, just to have enough God to cover all the bases and so that my obituary can say I was a member of Southbrook Christian Church or, you know, like that. But I, don't, I didn't pursue that. I hoped I accidentally had it dropped in my go-to bag in church. But he says, no, you, you, you pursue that. He says, now, first of all, the baseline is we brought nothing into the world and we're going to take nothing out of it either but if we have food and clothing we'll be content with that so he says start with not if i just can have tickle me elmo if i can just have that i'll be content he says no start the baseline is oh my gosh i have so much beyond food and clothing <laughs> like oh, oh my gosh when i was first born I uh, was growing up, my dad was working at the Air Force Base in Newark and raising five kids and uh, trying to get his master's degree at Case Western Reserve. And so we were poor. So we lived with my grandmother. I've told this story before. My first five, six years of life, we lived with my grandmother and she had an outhouse. That was our, that was our bathroom facility. And one of the, the most disturbing memories of my life was when a black snake was hanging over my grandmother in the outhouse. And she looked up and saw it and exited the outhouse before she was functionally appropriate. Okay? 
that was, it was, yeah, it was just, but, but I remember, I remember, I remember when we first went to St. Mary's Parish in Jamaica, an incredible poverty. I know that smell. I know that smell. That's the smell of poverty. And that has always been such a blessing in my life because I'm like, I have big appetites. I mean, I, any, anybody who knows me knows me. I mean, like, if, if I, I, my nature is appetite. Like if, if I can do this this many times, I want to do it this many more times. But what has helped me is that baseline of I know the smell of poverty. I recognize that. And so today, when I, I'm rich. So he says, that's, that's, that's where you start. Being intentional about fighting for, pursuing, and experiencing contentment that starts with, do I have food, do I have clothes, always results in gain, though. You want to get ahead of the Joneses? This is it, right here. Number one, God first in all my financial decisions. That's how I do this. How I functionally make this happen is I joyfully, willingly, generously give back to you, my creator, my God. Because what you're doing is you're saying no to you. And every time you do that, people sometimes ask me, how can you say no? How can you ask people to give to your church or to give to a building? And you know what I usually say to that is, is, is first of all, I know the blessing of generosity. And number two, it'll prob- what I'm probably doing is putting off that flat screen television. That's, what I, that's probably what I end up asking a lot of people to do. A lot, a lot of single moms are that mom at the counter who they're giving up, they're giving up Coke for the month or pizza or something. I mean, I, trust me, there are people beyond that. But, but honestly, a lot of times what, what the facility, when it's turned into a player's box facility, it'll be, it meant a lot of us put off stuff that, it just meant we put God first ahead of that, right? It, it does. Number two, Daily deep gratitude for what you have. I'm already so rich with so much. I have more than food and clothing. If you're not every day saying, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life and go back through yesterday and just go, oh, thank you, God, for that ride to the Starbucks with Sherry on our bikes. The Starbucks was closed, but we're thankful. We got to do that beautiful. I'm just, you just go through your day and you say, oh, yesterday was rich. I see the evidence of your goodness. Number three, constant awareness of your appetites. How do you overcome appetites? You don't without awareness. You don't. If you're aware, you know, tickle me Elmo's really are my weakness. For me, it's, if I were a pastor and I had unlimited wealth, I would have more cars than any human being should ever have. I would. I, I often joke. I have five Corvettes. They're this big. I built every single one of them. They're in my basement. But I would. I mean, I would just. I would have more, and I wouldn't put God first. I wouldn't. Some of you have five Corvettes, but you put God first. It's an amazing deal. And this is where you. This is the really practical thing. This is. This is one of the best things I heard years ago. When you're walking through a store. Or, you know, you're shopping, just to, to exercise awareness of your appetite. I don't need that. I can live without that. That'll complicate my life. I'll be content. Just practice that. You'll be amazed at how just learning to say no to yourself has a greater gain. Number four, a willingness to fight. And here it is. I am pursuing something else right now. My life is no longer about the accumulation of possessions and preeminence and protection. None of those things inherently are bad. But I'm fighting for something else. And this was a big turn for me right here. Use your desire to win, to fight, 
succeed in this battle. See, the answer for your appetite to be overcome is to leverage your appetite to win fully, but to win the good fight, to win the eternal battle that's going on in your soul. That's the key. It's not about shutting down who God made you to be. Many of us, like myself, we have great appetites for a lot of different things. But when I can leverage my appetite to win, if you've been around me five minutes, I like to win. And I learned years ago, this is what Paul's saying. Timothy, the drive that's made you a leader, turn that into a drive to, to, for the good fight. Use more against more. But the more now is I want more righteousness, more godliness. I, I want more faith, love, endurance, and gentleness in my life. I want more, God. I am hungry for more. And I want you, Southbrookers, to experience the joy of being greedy for more of what he wants you to have. That's the flip. It's not about saying, I'm not going to think about Tickle Me Elmo's or Cadillac Escalades or I'm not going to think about this pool. I'm not going to think about it. Those things in essence are, are fine. But I'm not going to think about that. That's not the desire of my life anymore. My more is more righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness of my soul. Take a picture of that because if you'll make that the desire of your life, what you want to win at is you won the fight for that, you'll look back someday and you'll say, God did it. He did that. He, he grew righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness in me. This is amazing. Me, me, who would have been so selfish and self-centered on my own. As a matter of fact, I'm going to use money as a tool to gain more righteousness, more godliness, more faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. I'm going to win the good fight. You see, you can't be neutral. You have to be proactive. In an era when you're not even on Instagram, you'll still get, as an American, 3,000 advertisements a day coming your way saying, you need more. You need more of this, and you need more of that, and you need more of that. But you can say, no, I don't. Because I want more. It's more of him. Now, we're very aware that I make this sound really easy, don't I? Don't I make it sound easy? Like, they're like, hey, what's so hard about this? It's not easy. Peter said, you've got to win the battle against the desires that war against your soul. That's what he said. And this is hard. When you're that mom standing at the counter and it's everything you can do to just afford the pleasure of a cup of coffee... And when you're that person who all your life you've been trained in generations of family to say it's, about, it's all about possessions and preeminence and protection, it's hard. So we want you to know we are, we are fully committed to, to equipping you with financial peace. October 4th, a new financial peace class starts at 6 p.m. where you'll spend six weeks on a literal plan, no matter how wealthy you aren't, a literal plan for how you can experience financial peace, amazing joy of generosity, and how to use money to grow in righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. 
You can use it. Because you see, remember, there are really two tools for spiritual growth that you need. That the only two you need is all you need is the scriptures and your money flowing out of that. And you watch what God does. You watch what God does. As he grows you into a person you thought, I never thought I could be this kind of person. Cause you, and right here, I know I see some of you on your, on your face. No, no, he can't do that in me. He can't. I see it. Trust me. I see more up here than you think I do. <laughs> I, you think that. You think that. But he who began a good work in you will carry it out into completion until the day of Christ. He will. And, and someday you'll come up to me 20 years from now and you go, Dad, you were right. You were right. And I, I hope this is you. Let me remind you again. God has uniquely equipped our church to help families and students who are heading down a slippery slope. I asked the students Tuesday and I said, talk to each other right now about your, your most fun sled riding memory. And then I asked him, I said, now, was it easier going down that slope or coming up that slope? I said, some of you are on a slippery path into anxiety and depression. We're going to intercept that. Because it's hard coming back up that slope. And we want you to be a part of that. We want you to be a part of creating a place six days a week that intercepts what families are struggling with so, 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 so much in our era. This is the plague, isn't it? It is the plague. Let's pray. Father, we have a lot you've laid in front of us to do. I wish I could just gear it down and quit, <laughs> to be honest. Sometimes I just was like, oh my gosh. But you keep showing us new ways that we can be a presence of your light and your life to so many. But it's not going to happen if we don't say no to ourselves. Because we said yes to something greater. Do that through us. I pray the simple step of just getting out our phone and RSVPing to playersbox.org is just, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be here. I'm going to follow our journey in the next month or two of saying, here's how we're going to make this happen to create a safe place for vulnerable people like us. Thank you, Jesus, for being our shepherd because you're our shepherd. We shall not want. Everybody agree with that? And everybody said, amen. amen. See you next week. Last one. Last one.